can't hide from not just climate change, but opioid addiction. 60% of Americans can't come up with $400 if they need it in an emergency. Suicide rate in the USA has gone up 30% since 1999. How tragic is that? Gun violence, we lead the world, incarceration. It's just not acceptable because the welfare of all stakeholders influences the overall quality of life in the society. You can't just cordon yourself off ultimately in you know, the proverbial permanent gated community between haves and have-nots. We're all in this together and the welfare of everyone affects everyone. You're listening to Find the Good News, Episode 100, The Power of Three, a Beacon Series conversation featuring Michael J. Gelb, author of Mastering the Art of Public Speaking by New World Library. Find the Good News is produced by Parker Brand Creative Services, a branding agency that thinks sideways, pushes forward, and gets your brand up. See what else we do at parkerbrandup.com. We made it, my friends and listeners. Welcome to the 100th numbered episode of my Find the Good News podcast. When I think deeply on the lineup of good people doing good works that I've visited with over the past two years, I understand how each of them has been like a teacher to me. They've allowed me to discover and learn without judgment, and they've opened up their tender hearts to me without fear of new wounds. I've spoken to neighbors and friends putting their good news into action right here in the Louisiana Gulf Coast communities we call home. And I've expanded the good news signal to bring you visits with unique thinkers and doers that are doing good works throughout the world. In the very beginning, I recall a thought that if I could just produce three quality conversations, get them out into the ether, then others would come, and together we could put something good out into the world. Oddly enough, my guest in this special 100th episode, Michael J. Gelb, propagates a similar philosophy in his good work as a speaker, motivator, writer, and teacher. As listeners of Find the Good News may know, I suffered from social anxiety for many, many years. This anxiety kept me away from many joyful and beneficial activities in my life. The ability to sit with this microphone and share with you openly and honestly is the result of decades of hard work. In Michael's latest book, Mastering the Art of Public Speaking, Eight Secrets to Transform Fear and Supercharge Your Career, he cuts right into the heart of fear itself, offering advice, perspectives, and practical thought exercises to help transmute the energies of fear and anxiety. The reality is that life is relationship, and with relationship comes communication. Good communication, free from fear and anxiety, crafted to serve the common good of all beings, is a good work. I believe that serving the common good is the tie that binds across the expanse of Michael J. Gelb's body of work. Just looking at the titles of his books, you'll find words like creativity, connection, healing, innovation, thinking, mastering, power, learning, discovery, and genius. When a being chooses to point all of these faculties at the well-being of others, goodness blooms. I am thankful to Michael Gelb for being a part of this milestone episode. I am grateful to New World Library for connecting me with Michael and so many other wonderful authors. I am humbled that so many have taken the time to share the right roundtable with me, whether in person or virtually. The world is always changing. I don't know what the next 100 conversations will bring but I'm ready to listen. Whatever I hear, I'm going to continue to learn and I'll continue to put forth my best effort to use each of these visits to grow a good heart. Now, 
It's time to take another look at your anxieties and fears. Let the butterflies of nervousness become the wings of excitement. Then tune your attention to this good news beacon and press play on a little good news. Wake up, it's morning. Dreaming up the story I can hear. The way it's going, cause you're laughing in your sleep. On the path to your deliverance and a holy Old news, bad news, fake news. Sometimes you want to shut those signals down and seek a better source. With my Find the Good News Beacon series, I tune into good people doing good works wherever I can find them. I scan across the full spectrum of life, seeking out human beings that have turned their dials towards helping others, aligning their time, resources, and talents with goodness, justice, mercy, and love. In each episode, I sync up with the hearts and minds of my extraordinary guests. We have dynamic conversations that invigorate the mind long after our transmission has ended. I discover the critical life experiences that shape them, the perspectives that drive them, and the fundamental beliefs that have anchored them to a path of goodness. There's a lot of background noise in the world. My name is Oren Parker, and I'm cutting through the static to find the good. Before we really rock and roll here, I would love it if you could give my audience sort of a, a who is Michael Gelb in a nutshell, because I'm going to tell you something. I, I, this is my first book that I've read of yours, but man, you have got quite a catalog of work and it's really diverse, man. I mean, that's, if someone picked this up, they may think, man, there's just so much texture to your experience, I think. Thanks for noticing. Yeah. <laughs> so here's the deal. What I, I won't take you through my entire career and all 17 books I've written, because then we just never get through the introduction. Uh, there you go. <laughs> but I'll take you through a, a, a framework based on some of the books that will... I think help everybody understand where I'm coming from and how you notice that there's diversity in what I do, but it actually really all fits together and is part of my long-term vision. So a couple of years ago, I came out with this book called The Healing Organization, Awakening the Conscience of Business to Help Save the World. And my co-author in this book is Professor Raj Sisodia, who's one of the co-founders of Conscious Capitalism. So hmm. from the beginning of my career, I had a vision that business could take the lead in helping to solve many of our most important problems. I think capitalism is one of the great genius ideas in human history. But if you go back and read the original works of capitalism by Adam Smith, there's The Wealth of Nations, which basically says that freedom leads to prosperity. Yeah. But there's also the theory of moral sentiments, that that freedom and prosperity has to be grounded in basic goodness and caring for all the stakeholders in a society. So That's the trick. Right, that's the trick. And unfortunately, yeah. business has lost touch with that humanistic element to a large extent. 
And there's a huge mega trend, a global movement to rebalance it. So we see that in the business roundtable coming out last year and saying the doctrine of shareholder primacy has outlived its usefulness. We see gotcha. it in uh, Larry Fink, the biggest asset manager in the world, writing a letter to CEOs saying, you have to have a higher purpose. And we know that right now, just in the US alone, we're undergoing the biggest transfer of wealth in human history. $24 trillion is passing from baby boomers to millennials. And more than any previous generation, those millennials say, what I do every day, my work, my business, my company has to have a higher purpose. So this mm. is a mega trend. It's something I've been a little <clears throat> part of for my entire career. Raj has been a part of it. There are all sorts of ways that this is expressing itself. There's the B Corporation movement. There's a movement called Just Capital. There's Future Capital. There's the Social Venture Network and many others. So this is the big picture, create an organization that makes a difference in the world. And here's the really good news, more abundance, more prosperity when you have that higher purpose and you execute it. Yeah, because, man, that's a, such a totally different perspective, you know, than what, when I even mention the word capitalism in the younger generation and maybe his generation. I mean, you're talking 15 to 20, right? It's become a dirty word like they don't even they're seeing it as a demonized thing. And what you're describing there is that it's not it just it's lost its moral sense. Exactly. Perfectly stated. And here's. I love that you brought that up about your son, because I am. So I'm going to go right to the heart of a really critical global issue, big USA issue. And it is divisiveness at a level. Mm -hmm. The last time our country was this divided was the last time my hair was this long. <laughs> 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 which is a really long time ago. And, and it may be even more extreme now. And part of it is one of the, the, the biggest polarization, surprisingly, is also the one where there's the easiest solution. Because you have on the one side, we talk about this idea to some people, and they say, well, no, capitalism must be completely unfettered. Uh, everything works if you just generate more shareholder return. The, it will solve all our problems. Well, guess what? That's been proven wrong. Uh, we just, you can't hide from not just climate change, but opioid addiction. 60% uh, of Americans can't come up with $400 if they need it in an emergency. Uh, right. Uh, suicide rate in the USA has gone up 30% since 1999. How tragic is that? Uh, right. Uh, right gun violence right. we lead the world incarceration it's just not acceptable and as adam smith pointed out because the society because the welfare of all stakeholders influences the overall quality of life in the society you can't just cordon yourself off uh, ultimately uh, in you know the proverbial 
uh, permanent gated community between haves and have-nots. We're all in this together, and the welfare of everyone affects everyone. So, on the other hand, so, so these people say, don't mess with capitalism, let it just keep doing what it's always done, except what it's always done is not what's happened in the last 50 years since Milton Friedman wrote his famous article saying that the, the higher purpose of business is to make a profit, period. That's the doctrine that has outlived right. its usefulness. On the other hand, right, right. You know, people like your son, uh, they go to a college, university, and they get this propaganda that capitalism is all evil and it's the source of all of our suffering and all problems and has to be taken over and run by the government. God, what a disaster that would be. So... So, right. Uh, so they throw yeah. out the total baby with the bathwater. So I proudly put forth to you the notion of radical centrism. And when we realize, though, that the solution to this problem, this is a bridge between this false divide between left and right, is conscious capitalism. Capitalism that takes care of the welfare of all stakeholders. And look, this is not just some do-gooder, social work, uh, uh, kumbaya stuff. This is, you make more money doing this. Yeah. You're more profitable. We have the data to back it up. And people yeah. love, they love working for you. Your customers love you. Your communities love you. These are some of the most beloved, yeah. you know, in all those surveys of best places to work, those are the ones that we're, that's who we're writing about in this book. Those are the stories we're telling. So it's a new vision uh, uh, or a new interpretation of a vision that's been around the original vision of capitalism. So that's the big picture. Right, this, this is fascinating. This is a big picture of my work, okay? So, I'd like, I need to read that. That might be my next read because I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really know exactly what that book was about. I saw it in your catalog, uh, but that that's right that's a timely book. I mean, especially well, the for good right is we're, we're actually releasing the paperback in the spring uh, uh, with a new forward oh, by Paul Pullman, the former CEO of Unilever. We talked, we interviewed him last week. Wow, oh, cool. what a great guy. I mean, what a fabulous, visionary, super, it's the kind of business. If, if the world's businesses were run like by people like Paul Pullman, we'd be in a much happier healthier state so so this is the big picture okay now let's go back 22 years i published this book called how to think like leonardo da vinci okay because if you're gonna do yeah. this you need to be creative gotcha okay so yeah. you have to think like the most creative person who ever lived and just in case you want a more businessy role model read this innovate like edison the greatest innovative genius yeah. who ever lived, the greatest creative mind who ever lived. That's the next part of the curriculum, okay? Then, to make this true, because let me tell you, I don't just write books. I work with real companies to try to do everything we're talking about. And right. what I discovered in more than 40 years of working with real companies and real leaders is one of the most important skills they need is what I call the art of connection. That is seven relationship building skills every leader needs now. So that came out three years ago. And it, it's everything I've learned about 
how do you build relationships? Because you can come up with a creative, innovative idea, but if you don't connect with the people, it's probably not gonna happen. So the new book, Mastering the Art of Public Speaking, that's the other skill you need. You gotta get groups of people (laughs) engaged. So this is just the the short version of my curriculum. If we, you know, the other uh, uh, 12 books, we could round it out, but you get the essence. This is the essence of, of who I am and what I do. Excellent. And I'm glad you went through it that way because now I really see and I maybe really didn't fully grasp that because I have only read this one book. And and I'm now I'm excited to read more because I see the heart and soul that's sort of beating at the center of all that you're doing. And and I did get that out of this book too, was that creativity is really almost the highest principle for you. I mean, that's really what you're encouraging people to do is to Think creatively and and use that creativity to better their relationships, better the world in that process. And 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 the interesting thing is through business, not because business can be demonized. I mean, it really can. Capitalism, as we said, can be sort of demonized. But if you add heart to it, if you use creativity to do that, see, that's that's my big question. And I mean, I I have a small business. I'm a small business owner, and. You know, I, I think about this all the time because you said that it's it the principle for me to eat it to get the eggs and cheese and the bread and to keep the roof and the power and all those things, you know, in the society. However, having that business has allowed me to do the thing that I really wanted to do, which was have conversations, high idea conversations with people and spread them to whatever circle of influence I have. That's my true, that's my good. That's what I can do. If the profit were the only thing, I think I would have just wouldn't have done it very long. Well, look at it this way. I mean, breathing is really important. Can't live without it. (laughs) Right. Right now, you know, we're both inhaling and exhaling because if Mm -hmm. we stopped, we'd be dead. And that's what profit's like for a business. It's just the breath of life for the business. However, the purpose of your life and the purpose of my life isn't breathing. (laughs) Right? It's something (laughs) that sustains our life, makes it possible to do what we're here to do. No, you don't ever say, why are you here? Oh, breathing. Uh, Yeah. I'm more into inhaling than exhaling, but basically it's about, no, breathing is just... (laughs) necessary for life support so is profit for a business but it's not the purpose of a business and if a business has a higher purpose it actually breathes more freely and Mm. utilizes more of the yeah oxygen and expels more of the co2 and has a greater harmony and rhythm and intelligence because your brain is uses a significant portion of your body's oxygen. Mm. So you have to oxygenate the brain. So profit isn't, isn't bad by any means. It's good. It's essential, but it's not an end in itself. 
and that that's a flaw in in right. how people conceive. You know, but if you go, if you we live near New York City, and if the times were normal, you could just talk to people on the street, and you ask them what's the purpose of business. A hundred out of a hundred would still say, "Oh, make money." Yeah. So, right. But that's not the pur- the purpose of business is to meet human needs to alleviate suffering or elevate joy, to provide a service, to provide something that enriches the quality of other people's lives. When it's co-opted by less than enlightened forces, it says profit's so important, we can justify getting people addicted to things that will kill them. And, right. and then it'll all work out because right. we'll have a corporate social responsibility. You know, we'll cause lung cancer and then we'll fund hospitals to treat it. Uh, we can't afford that model anymore. That 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 is killing us and killing the planet. Yeah. So, but the good news is sell something that helps people. Do something that may, then you, then you go to sleep every night feeling good about yourself. <laughs> right. But why not do that? Yeah. No, it's true. That is a hard thing to teach another. It seems to be to me, and maybe it's just the times we're living in. I'm fascinated listening to what you're saying because it just gets into the core of things that I, I wonder. Because, you know, referring to an audio book um, from a Tibetan master, you know, Lama. And so I've been listening to it for a couple of weeks, you know, on my morning walks, and I was. I was telling my wife this weekend, I said, I'm listening to this lovely book. And I told her, I said, you know, this is one of these ones that I'm going, oh, my, I'm just feel fused with it. Like, it's almost like something you already know, but it's it's just like calling it forth. You know, those books that are like, I was having that thought. I was like, this is so easy for me to accept what is coming out of this book. So easy. And, and I got excited to think that... Today, I could actually turn the dial towards more love and more kindness and more caring. But here was my thing that I had after I got home and I took my earbuds out and I was getting a shower and I was in the shower thinking. I said, that felt that feels so natural to just want to be that way and to really take a small effort today. Someone else could listen to that same book and go, this is fluffy hogwash. I'm not even going to go any further. Because it's because it doesn't serve me. It's like, you know, that's not going to serve me today as I go out to try to make some money. I did have that thought, and I thought, how do you teach that? Like, I really don't know the answer. I don't know if it's time. I don't know if it's exposure. Is it culture? Is it how do you want that to desire it? I will answer the question. Uh, You tell the stories of people who've successfully done it. Because people don't know mm. it's possible. I mean, people, you know, people, almost everybody holds some sort of higher ideal. They might say, you know, well, there's the teachings of Christ over here, but then there's what I do every day, and there's this massive gap between, and, oh my God, I'm a sinner. Uh, uh, or here's the teachings of yeah. Buddha, uh, uh, or Krishna, or uh, Muhammad, or whoever, uh, or just, right. or you're just a, an atheist, and you think, but I'm, uh, you know, ethically, I, I adopt ethical principles based on reason rather than on yeah. religious belief. But almost everyone, whatever religion or atheist, 
aspires to a higher ethical ideal. And almost everyone struggles with how do we translate the higher ethical ideal into our everyday behavior? So that's why I got interested in creativity, because there was a huge gap (laughs) between what I saw. I'm also interested in consciousness. That's why it's called conscious capitalism, because consciousness Mm -hmm. is not just about talking about fluffy hogwash all day. What consciousness is really about is becoming conscious of your habitual tendencies, of your greed, your selfishness, your mindlessness, your meanness, and then choosing not to act on those elements of yourself. That's spiritual work, whatever tradition you're in. Pray to whoever you want to pray to for help in being more aware. You know, we have uh, the house we live in. when we bought this house, we bought this house from this uh, devout Catholic family. And our, we're, 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 my wife and I are students of all the world's traditions and feel, we, we feel an affinity pretty much everywhere, church, synagogue, mosque, Buddhist temple, we're good, yeah. we're good everywhere. Nature, we're good everywhere. Uh, yeah. But we love that there's this uh, uh, chap, uh, this uh, a statue of St. Francis Assisi that they left in the bushes behind our house. Lovely, right? yeah. And, and he's there blessing our house. We're on top of a hill. So we think of, uh, and we went to Assisi uh, a couple years ago. Uh, yeah, and hung really? out wow. and meditated in the place where St. Francis had his hermit- hermitage. Uh, so... Wow. St. Francis says, uh, uh, Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Where there is despair, hope. Hope, O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, uh, to be be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in parting we are parted, it is in dying we are born to eternal life. Hallelujah, brothers and sisters. So St. Francis was really smart because isn't it just better to be in a flow of giving, of love? And, you know, it, says, it, it sounds, gee, I'm so unselfish. I'm such a saint. I'm St. Francis. You know, to, to be uh, rather uh, consoled than to be consoled. No, wouldn't you rather be helping somebody else than being the one who's in, in oh, poor me. Oh, I need love. no. Yeah. Human if you stick around and pay any attention, you start to notice happiness comes from serving others. And yes. And and this is just universal. Goodness makes us happier. Beauty makes us happier. Kindness makes us happier. And Emotions are contagious for better or for worse. So you have to be careful what you catch and spread. So the way you bridge the gap is you, okay, study the higher ideals from whatever tradition. But if you can find actual fellow humans who've struggled with this, these challenges and have successfully over somebody like Paul Pullman, that those are the stories we tell all the CEOs that we interview in the healing organization, people who grappled with, the, this challenge of bridging this gap. And for, for the new edition, 
We've just been interviewing the people whose businesses have been most hard hit by the pandemic. People have had, you know, they've had to fire people. They try to yeah, furlough right. They just the job's not there. You, you can't cut the airway off off of the business. But the compassion, the kindness, the communication skills, the creativity with which these people have been managing this incredibly difficult time, that's that's where fluffy hogwash turns into highest human ideals across all traditions. And then it turns into here's the creative ways that you can live those ideals. So the answer, there's a big way of saying, one of the ways we bridge the gap and learn how to do this is we study who else has done it. Because if you don't see that somebody else has done it and dealt with something harder than what you're dealing with, you don't think it's possible. And if you don't think it's possible, you're not going to do it. This is great. That this falls, you know, on list. I was having a similar conversation with one of the guests and we were talking about archetypes and I, I, I brought this up. I said, you know, some of the reason I read the people I read in the morning to start my day is because they are archetypes. They've done the thing. They've actually done the thing so I don't have to do the thing. So I can like like Thomas Merton. I'm never going to be a Trappist monk. Okay, I mean, I'm married, I have children, I have a business. That's not my reality. He went on the path, and because he shared it, I can then look to him and go, okay, I can gain and glisten the juice off of what he experienced, and he he makes it so that I can then apply what is applicable from his journey. And you're right, I mean, having those archetypes are so important, I mean, to... To look to them and say, okay, they did it. Let me look. And like you said, it may even be harder what they did. It gives you that that motivation. I do I do still wonder, though, sometimes, again, in my little between, sure, between sure. my hopes and my fears, yeah. that, that feeling of, and I feel it in my own, my own life, like, what can I, just as you said, St. Francis' prayer is actually one of my daily prayers. I love that prayer. I cherish it. And you're right. I think, mate, how can I be in, like, I don't know who I'm going to encounter. It's interesting because it ties to your book and in a way. It's like, who is my audience going to be today? You know, and it may be just one person that I encounter, but I... I need to be able to be an instrument and in whatever that is in that moment, you know? And that's an interesting thing to think of that you could that's be right. an instrument for an audience small, of just one. Just the smallest perhaps. thing. And just yeah. to, to and, and even even if you're not interacting directly with people, is to monitor yourself, monitor your thoughts. And transform them, reframe them from negative, fear-based to creative and love-based. It's yeah, you know, it's pretty simple. Like if if there's someone that you disagree with violently, which we see a lot of in the world today, whichever side people are on and whatever issue it's to be, right. You know, if you start, if you wish evil to others, 
then that's the energy, the vibration that you are mirroring for yourself. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's true. So yeah. So why not wish awakening? Why not wish Right. I mean if a miracle is gonna happen if you think you're that powerful that you can send a negative thought to somebody, something bad's gonna happen to them, well then why not send a positive thought that they'll wake up and, and see the light. So <laughs> Man, it's so funny. I know this is way out of left field, but you know what this makes me think of? It makes me the, you know, and and I I love that movie because it's exactly what you just said. He, He had a choice. He could be a gun or he could be Superman. And he chose because he could had the capacity if he wanted to be a, a weapon of destruction. I mean, we saw that it could happen, but he chose to be Superman. And he and I love that scene in the movie. It's like, I'm not a gun. It's like, I don't have to be a gun. Yes, I have that capacity. Mm-hmm. And by the way, it doesn't mean that we don't feel impulses of anger. I think it's important not to. This is what happens with a lot of people. They they they. They're afraid of anger. They're afraid of noticing just how vile a lot of their feelings and thoughts are. So they repress it, put on a, a fake <laughs> smiley face, pretend to be so, such right. nice people. Uh, and, and those people actually get on my nerves more than just people who are angry and pissed off and just uh, uh, because at least that's honest. I can deal with that. Whereas that right. passive aggressive. No, it's OK. We all feel these kinds of feelings from time to time. It's part of being human. Feelings, the range of feelings, whatever you feel is just what you feel. What counts is what you decide to do with it. How do you act? What do you yeah. invoke? You know, uh, how do you how do you respond? And what is your highest intention? And you know, here's a, it's a funny thing. But if you want to like people have random thoughts and ideas come through their mind. But here's a, I've just there's the power of saying something three times. Right. If you mm. want to affirm something and you say, OK, like, you have, let's say you have a random negative thought or a evil thought or a mean thought. OK, well, your mind, this just happens. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Let it go. Notice it. But then what do you want? What do you want to stand for? Say it three times, you know, interesting. Let me be an instrument of peace. Let me be an instrument yeah. of peace. Let me be an instrument of peace. And the third, it's like, you know, the, yeah. you, you click your heels three times and you're off. Uh, uh, it's interesting because it is a lot like mantra. I mean, you know, I, I laugh at myself sometimes when I, I go, I have used the word and, and never really looked to see what the word meant. And I was actually listening to this book that I was just yeah. telling you about. And, and he said, you know, the word mantra translates literally to mind protection. It means mind protection, you know, and in my mind, I always thought, Oh, mantra is a prayer or a phrase that you repeat. But when I heard him say mind protection, it, it flows right into what you just said. I mean, the repetition and saying of something, it, it, it protects you. It, it, it almost, you're uh, invigorating yourself with the energy of those words and syllables and what they mean. It's it's one of the one of the tools that can help us protect our minds from their random, bizarre nature, especially 
you know, this is, the mind works by association. So if you happen to make the mistake of watching too much news or being on too much social media, your your associational network is going is intentionally controlled by people who want you to feel fear so that you will buy something you don't need or click on something mm. that takes you down to some dark place and makes your day worse and lowers your immune system. So, yeah, right. That's interesting. I love hearing you say that because I, I got to bring it up because, you know, the last four years, I'm not, on, I'm not on, I used to be on Twitter a lot. Um, and I, for years, I, I, somewhere within the first year, I decided, I said, you know what I'm going to do? I think I just need to block the president of the United States on Twitter because it would just, I was follow, I followed every president that's been on Twitter. But what I started to realize was that those signals were coming through my feed every day and they really were kind of, they were making me, I, the truth of the matter, I could feel myself getting frustrated and angry and I read dumping stuff into me i'm allowing this stuff into my mind and so i decided to just stop you know that doesn't mean i completely shut the president's communications out of my life i still chose my time and place and what i wanted to consume but just to have it for three years i can't imagine what would have happened what my mind would have looked like daily to just have, because some of those, like, not that they were all um, inflammatory, but a lot of times they were, and it really did affect my my mind. I mean, I could see it. Well, this what you're describing is an important choice. You, you're talking about protecting your mind. Do you, whatever whatever your one's values are, whatever one feels relates to your higher ideals and purpose, you want to try to craft or curate the stream of what you're exposed to on a daily basis so that you can function in alignment with your own highest purpose. So then you just curate things by saying, what helps me in my life, bridge the gap between what I think is important, what my purpose is, what my values are, and and where I'm going to spend my time and energy today. So for a lot of people, what they do is they, they watch stuff that makes them upset, and then they commiserate, which means to be miserable together. So yes, you know, and, and it's not easy to do. But, you know, what I did is I, I mean, I only follow a handful of people on Twitter and I, I, I kind of pared it down to people who I think are objective intelligences who give me an upset, mm, yeah. you know, who are not partisan, uh, who gotcha. are uh, yeah. scholar, highly insightful people. Yeah, they're th- they're looking at the whole, the, like right. the higher scope of the picture. It's global not just global. very yeah on the ground. Global it's thinkers. above the thing. Uh, and yeah, I just even if I agree with people, I, I I cut off their feed on my Facebook and my LinkedIn, whatever, because I I don't 
I just don't need to get embroiled in all that every day. And at different times when there's more uh, substantive, actual news that's affecting um, something more than just the emotional state that everybody's in that day. Right. Then I've worked on figuring out how do I get that with the least uh, uh, overlay? Uh, Yeah. Because the way this stuff is all set up, uh, we talked before about, uh, we made a reference to uh, uh, companies that not only sell nicotine, but actually put additives in it to make it more addictive so they could make more short-term profit and kill more people. I mean, yeah. sorry, that's not okay. It's just it's right. not okay. Not okay with me. Uh, and it turned out, fortunately, not okay with society. Because that's what Adam Smith said. If you do things that don't ultimately serve the common good, ultimately, in a free society, people will rise up against you and you will pay a price. You know bazillions of, of, of dollars. Uh, uh, and we see this happening. Like, y- you can get away with being exploitive for a shockingly long time in way too many areas. But what Smith said is eventually, it's going to catch up with you. Eventually, if you're not serving the common good, if you're not really aiming to bring forth the best in society, in a free democratic society, you're gonna you're gonna pay for that, which may be why some people don't want a free democratic society anymore. Right, right. right. <laughs> Possibly, yeah. Right. You're right. But, it's true. But uh, but leaving that aside, uh, the issue uh, for us is that as addictive as the nicotine is and the additives they put into it to make it even more addictive. Social media is more addictive, right? Uh, The nicotine and the additives went to your bloodstream uh, and your lungs and then to the brain. Uh, Social media goes straight to your brain and your spinal cord and takes it over, hijacks it, done. And then look, so I'm an author, I write all these books, uh, I consciously curate my life uh, I have uh, a, a lovely home surrounded by nature, a uh, uh, lot of beauty. Uh, and every night when I go onto my social, not social media, but if I go onto YouTube, uh, I, I, I'm searching the great teachings of the world, Thomas Merton, uh, uh, you name it, Sufism. Uh, 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 Ramana Maharshi uh, uh, neuroscience uh, uh, breathing breath work research uh, uh, as you know how does pranayama get corroborated by contemporary neuroscience for example these are some of my recent searches along with a lot of comedy and and also some sports yeah okay so uh, okay that that's the only things I ever put in are usually related to genius, spirit. Oh, chess! I'm a big chess, so I, I do lots of chess stuff. Uh, mathematical puzzles, 
but it will still send up to me suggestions for stuff that <laughs> yeah. is is just vile beyond belief and and yeah you click it once you could come out 20 years later uh, yeah so, and i'm you know i'm a grown-up and a teacher of all this stuff what if you're a 15 year old right what if you're a 20 year old what if you're an eight year old there so they look you know all the the people from facebook and twitter and uh, uh, all these sites they you know they see they wear casual clothes and sneakers and they talk a nice game of being sort of humanitarian whatever but they may be worse than the tobacco companies yeah it's true i mean it's hard to watch it's mind work i mean you have to really watch your mind i like to watch myself just as you described like i like i i always imagine that there is like a drug store in my brain and depending on what I watch, that's me walking in with a prescription and what my brain is going to prescribe me. And I can feel like and this gets back to public speaking, even anxiety and was terrified of talking to anybody outside of an intimate setting. And once I started, part of my healing was to realize that, that, oh, these red splotches that I'm getting on my chest or on my neck, um, the heat I'm feeling, the sweatiness, the, the rapid breathing, all of that is, it's drugs that are being fed to me that are just, it's not that, once I made that, I guess, observation that, oh, this is, this is not me. Like, this is just something that's happening to my body. And I know that's probably a strange distinction, but it was my way of getting through it. I could then start to say, well, hey, I don't want those drugs. I don't want to breathe like this. I don't want to be hot. I don't want to get sick to my yeah. stomach. You know, and so don't give me slowly over time. It was like my brain, I guess, began to settle into a new reality that that stuff was just almost like I felt like I had a salesman off to the side, like peddling crap to me, you know, like going, hey, take this. That'll make you feel good. Oh, trick, you know, no. Now you're now you got the jitters. <laughs> it was like side effects, you know, and I was all in in that world for a very long time. Breathing was such a huge part of it. I mean, you talked about that in the book and I liked that. And I was like, yeah, I get this changing um what you call something so if you're getting butterflies in your stomach and you call it oh i'm anxious don't say it's anxious say you're excited Cognitive and i was like oh, i love that thing in the world so okay this is great i'm really excited about this i'm going to use this excitement to do a really great job then you need to know how to do that and the book teaches you that step by step and as you do that you change your biochemistry yeah that, that was fascinating to me because, like, yes, so that takes time, you know, but the more you do it, the more your brain begins to, I guess, realign, yeah. right? It starts to have new 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 triggers, new new signals start going in. It's like, oh, no, I'm actually looking forward to this, you know, and I'm no right. longer dreading. It, tra it transforms. It really transforms. Uh, I've been helping people with this for, for decades, and it's just such a wonderful thing to see because it is the number one fear of the American public, 74% public speaking. Of people, yeah. 
Uh, yeah. Book of list, public speaking is number one fear. Death is seventh on the list. Means the, wow. Means the average <laughs> wow. person would rather be dead and buried than have to give the eulogy. That's interesting. Oh, wow. That's such a timely thing. Look, I, I, it's weird how life comes to a head. I mean, just a few weeks ago, I, um, I had wow. to get, you know, and they asked me to write it and I, yeah. I did. And that's a, that's a painful thing. I mean, it's what's well, painful, but it was rewarding too, because I felt honored to have been asked. Well, I thought someone was going to read it at his funeral, and um, the pastor of his church asked me, said, well, you wrote it. I'd, I'd like for you to read it. Well, you know, all those old feelings came in, and immediately I switched them all out with, I said, no, this is a great, yes, yeah, I feel all these things, but instead of feel, worrying about that, it's like, it's a great honor to be able to do that. And so I thought that the whole time, I mean, I was nervous, especially when I looked out and saw that there were, you know, 500 friends that I, you know, people all looking at you and that's like terror, right. To someone that's afraid of public speaking. But I kept thinking, you know, no matter what I do, even if I, I, I cry, if my voice shakes, that's natural right now. People, um, it's a great honor. And I just kept telling myself, I'm honored. I'm honored. And when I read that in your book last week, I was like, wow, that's so powerful. Just that one thing was such a way for you to arm wrestle some of that into submission. Yeah, well, you know? I love your story because what what helped you get the butterflies to fly in formation was a sense of purpose and meaning. Yeah. There's purpose here. There was this is an honor. This is there's a reason I'm here doing this that makes it worthwhile to stand in there with whatever the sensations that we might normally interpret as unpleasant, but you reinterpret yeah. them as, well, how fascinating, here's what's going on, but I've, I've committed to do this. So that purpose, because you also, why is it an honor? Because yeah, there are 500 people there and you realize it ain't about you, it's about <laughs> those people and the family and the transition of this figure and you've got a purpose and when we have a purpose we get more energy it brings out our best and that's why it's important to define a purpose for your business define a purpose for your life and 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 then then all the tips and practices in in all the books uh, become much uh, easier to implement because there's a reason for doing so. Yeah, that that's beautiful. Yes, you, that's exactly God. You you verbalized exactly in such a beautiful way. The way I felt that day, I kept thinking, if this were all I was meant to do on Earth, I, I got the I had the gift to write, have some writing ability, to have spent all these years working through social anxiety. This might be the day that all of that came to a, be a wonderful blessing and honor to have this been able to do this one good thing beautiful beautiful i see what's so great too is you're helping lots of people right now just by sharing that story because many people have this social anxiety it's it's a pandemic of its own uh, yeah yeah and it is isn't it people are uh, who have it hear your story and they know what you know it's 
seems real to me. Everything you're saying uh, seems authentic to me. And you're you dealt with this and turned it around and do you know breathing practices, do what you need to do, and you curating what works for you. And then, yeah, it's great when you see functional improvements and when you feel better and when I, uh, I'm always working on ways to, to transform anxiety into enthusiasm. Uh, you know, I inherited uh, that kind of anxious constitution. Uh, so, and I knew it from an early age. So I just got fascinated by how do you transform this? So you know, I started meditating when I was 19. Wow. Uh, I went on a year long meditation retreat because I thought this is the most important thing to learn how to do. Uh, then I trained for three years in this methodology called the Alexander Technique, which is the uh, it's really? a subject of my first book called Body Learning, an introduction to the Alexander Technique. And it's one of the most helpful elements in mastering the art of public speaking. It's the method for developing stage presence that they teach at the Juilliard School in New York and the Royal Academy of Music and the Royal Academy of Drama. Uh, many of the greatest actors, actresses, performers, music, dance, uh, acting, all study the Alexander Technique. So I trained for three years as an Alexander Technique teacher. Right? Then I studied martial arts really intensively. I got a fifth degree black belt in Aikido. I became a Tai Chi and a Qigong instructor. All because I wanted to once, I still always need, I think we all need all the help we can get, first of all. Right. So I'm constantly yeah. helping myself be centered and balanced and recover quickly if something upsets me. And then, you know, yeah. turn out I, I can make a living helping other people do this, which I thought was just the absolute coolest thing I, I could possibly do. And they're going to pay me to help them based on what I learned to do for myself. I hope people listening to this are hearing what you're saying, because this is one of my favorite things. I would, I, I would put myself in the same category and I'm listening to you describe this beautiful either medical kit or toolbox, whichever metaphor works for the listener. But you just described just, and I'm sure there's much more to it, but because that was one of my questions was how Aikido informs, you know, the work that you're doing. And I'm listening. That's the way to be, especially in a world as complex as the one we live in, to be able to draw on any of these things. You know, it's great to have one source if you have one source and you have some sort of whether it's a religious or a spiritual tradition or if it's just something that you a cultural tradition that you can draw on. But, man, the, to be able to select from the buffet of things that you mentioned speaking or whether it's problem solving or branding or, you know, whatever it may be, I mean, the fact that you can draw on those things and go, oh, I have a, I have a place to pull from that has something I can use. That's a beautiful thing to have that diversity. That's the seventh principle for thinking like Leonardo da Vinci, which is to make connections. That's what big part of what creativity is, is look at things that 
people seem they seem very diverse, don't seem connected, and find new connections, mm-hmm. and patterns, and relationships that aren't apparent. That was another thing I loved about your book is you you I didn't expect it actually I didn't really know what to expect, but you were talking about mind mapping, and then you started to relate that to nature. You know, look at nature. This is how nature actually makes connections. Is more in it's more like a mind map. This is beautiful stuff right here, because you're drawing parallels between two things that normally. People would, we would just go, oh, okay, I'm going to learn how to mind map. But then you you stretch it over into creation. And you're like, yeah, see, the why this works better is because it's really kind of built Correct. into yeah. you. You know, you're, you're built, it's built into your very created Thanks self, for noticing you again. Know? <laughs> Yeah, about the butterflies. That was a beautiful visual for me, especially somebody who had lived with such uh, with that anxiety. When you talked about the butterflies, and then you said, but then they begin to form and they they take a pattern. They in my mind, I kept seeing um, them fly, like yeah. the birds fly yeah. in the sky, and all of a sudden they'll form a V or a shape. And I was like, ah, oh, so these butterflies. It's almost in the get. I'm, I'm, I know I'm jumping all over, but this was my correlation. So here we're here we're talking about the redirection of energy, uh, and transmuting energy in another way. You working with it, and I thought so. That's sort of like this. These butterflies, they're like an energy that can be redirected or utilized instead of fear. That's correct. No, no. And, no, and no, am no, I off? Like in exactly saying right. any it's of that? Redirecting. It's it's. Or even you know you're, you're, what what people are afraid that they'll be in a meeting or they're giving a presentation or they're and they'll someone will interrupt them or challenge them or heckle them. Mm. But why do you think we're afraid? I mean, I was, and maybe more people are too, especially sure. giving public presentations. Why do you think we're afraid? For someone to challenge us, there is almost like a fear to say that you don't know. Yeah, well, that's one of the things I teach people is say, I don't know with authority. <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> say, I don't know with authority. If you want to be a leader in any uh, framework, you need to be able to say, I don't know with authority. And the way you get the authority is that you, the reason you don't know is, is, is not because you haven't done the due diligence that you ought to have done before you stood up to give this talk. It's because yeah. it's a novel question or it's something that requires further study and you don't want to give a flippant answer. So you respectfully listen right. and you say, uh, I'm going to find that out and I will get back to you within a week. I wonder what you've been thinking about um, altering our governors in the states over the last year, especially since March. I mean, I know I have down in Louisiana, and I wonder if you've been watching any of those press conferences and just like things jump out at you and you go, oh, that right there was probably not that people are going to jump on that because they they said, I don't know. Because it seemed like in the social media has made it worse because people go, oh, he didn't really give us an answer. He said no yet. And that's never good. It seemed like it wasn't good enough right now. And I was like, man, you got to give people some slack because 
you know, they're in the midst of trying to yeah. get answers. No one's going to know everything. Of course not. And, and so, <laughs> uh, you know, we're, we're in the state of New York and our governor, after, you know, I think he had early, like a lot of people, didn't really realize just what we were dealing with here. Right. But I got to say, right. once he realized, he mobilized at a level that we have, he's one of the few people I follow on Twitter because I want to get the daily numbers uh, straight. Yeah. And I want to, you know, uh, infection rate, people going to the hospital, death. Uh, and, and he lit, and early on, uh, part of why I, it's funny, we live by what used to be called the Tappan Zee Bridge. Okay. And they changed the name to the Governor Mario Cuomo Bridge. Okay. At first, we were a little bit, uh, that's the uh, uh, father of our current governor. Right, okay. So at first, we were a little bit like, hey, this is too egotistical. We It's the Tappan Zee Bridge. We're not calling it the Cuomo Bridge. Uh, <laughs> right. But... One of the one of the things he said, he, you know, he gives a, he was giving daily briefings and he was just addressing questions, and he said, "Look, there's a lot we don't know. I'm going to tell you everything I do know as soon as I know it, and if you don't like it, tough." And I right. just thought, this is the now, information. Maybe it's because <laughs> I've become a real New Yorker, but that's how I want somebody to talk to me. Don't give me a load of hogwash. BS. BS. It just, right. He was telling us what he knew and tell us he wasn't going to try to tell us anything he didn't know. And I actually wrote an article, uh, which I just I, I put out, which was just we officially accept the name, the Cuomo Bridge. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, it's funny because we were watching yeah. your governor yeah. down here in Louisiana, because, I mean, I remember going, I'm. The truth of the matter is, it was what I needed. I need this from a leader. I need this sort of just here's the information. This is what we're doing. Encouragement, patience, got to deal with it, stick it out together. I was like, this is what we all need to be hearing right now. And I was yeah. taking it to heart. I really was. And it was it was true. You're right. He... he um, he gave it to you sort of as it was. Just to paraphrase, it was like, and if you don't like it, like you said, yeah. if you don't like this, I, you you can't have your own facts, I think right. he kept saying. Yeah. You can have your own opinion, but you can't right. have your own facts. And this is the way it is, is what we're doing. That's how good it's going to be. That's what good CEOs do. That's what good parents do. Yeah, yeah. So look for role models of people who are leading and dealing with very challenging circumstances and being straightforward, being compassionate. And, you know, he also expressed genuine concern for the people who are suffering, genuine concern for the people who are dying and their families. And yeah, it's leadership. Yeah. That those are the and there are definitely markers. I mean, whether I've ever written them down or not, which that might be a good exercise for me to write down what those markers are for me. Uh, I've always just kind of loosely said, you know, I look in things that I read. I look for those characters, you know. You, you mentioned all those things that you draw from. I have my own list like that, too. And so when I look at people, 
I tend to find that I'm sizing them up based on those things, which is probably unfair because they don't know, first of all, what standard they're being held to. But, you know, I'm going, okay, do yeah. they have these markers, you know? Um, and I find that's how I, I can learn to trust someone um, having to, well, without having to give it time. I can, qu- you know, pretty quickly tell if they're not falling into these, if these tumblers aren't tumbling into place, it's probably not going to be a smooth ride. Pretty simple. I mean, that's just, we're all, it's discernment. We just have to discern. It's, discernment is healthy. And I'm happy. I know it. I'm healthy. Hey there, good news listener. I hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as I've enjoyed producing it. Now, it's time for the Fishing for Goodies segment, where I turn my interviewer role over to the Good News Fishbowl. Longtime listeners know that the Fishbowl contains over 400 unique questions, many seated by you, the listeners. Did you know that you could submit unique questions to the Fishbowl? That's right. Just call the Good News Hotline at 802-459-1668 to have your question added. You can also visit findthegood.news and send me an email. Now, let's take that dive into the fishbowl. So I want to invite you to the the final stage of the oh, show. Okay. It's called Fishing Fishing for Goodies. So this fishbowl uh, is filled with cool. questions. And what I do with every guest is I just give up my interviewer role and I draw Hang three on. questions out of here. And okay. we see what the universe <laughs> brings. So... Oh, well, this is interesting. I'm very curious. What was your first love? Now, that's all it says. It doesn't have to be a person. What was the, your first love? Sports. Sports? How young were you when you were like, I just love... What, what sport was it? Uh, basketball. I wanted to be an NBA player. Watching <laughs> the Boston, Boston Celtics win championships when I was a little kid. Uh, I mean, just... I played basketball and basketball season. I was in Little League. I played baseball and baseball season. I played football and football season. Then I added soccer and wrestling. And it was all sports, of course, until girls came. came not no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That does it for a lot of us. What, how old were you when you first got interested in martial arts? When you uh, took interest in martial arts? 14 or 15 my yeah. parents sent us for uh, we got to take uh, karate lessons yeah. and then uh, but it was too it was too violent I, I remember seeing uh, one of the instructors kick somebody in the face and this guy was bleeding all and I thought this is too sloppy it uh, just I don't want to do I didn't want to do that uh, and wrestling of course too was a great martial art I was on the wrestling team uh, yeah but uh, then I saw I saw an aikido demonstration and I just thought that's like being a, uh, uh, you know, it was. Remember, what's his name? Uh, uh, the uh, uh, there's a show called Kung Fu with David Carradine. No, like, yeah, I remember. It was like yeah. the real Kung Fu. It's just that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. So I said, I got it. I want to learn that. So yeah, Aikido is interesting. I, you you've been this. You're the second person that's been on the show who uh, practiced Aikido, and I just find it fascinating. There's definitely something, um, a perspective. It's definitely got to it, which I really love. 
I think the book, The Art of Peace, perhaps, yeah. is uh, well, that, that's a keto. The, the Art of Peace is a collection of quotes from Osensei Morihei Ueshiba, the founder of the founder of Aikido. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a book to throw in your backpack yeah. and keep with you for sure. I mean, I was yeah. I trained with the people who trained directly with the founder for years. Yeah. Oh wow. Very, yeah, I went wow, I went to Japan and I trained with the founder's son and grandson. That's really something. I mean, really, well, I, I, when you were in those moments, that was it a, apparent to you? Like, wow, I'm uh, I'm doing something oh, yeah. amazing. I, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, know, for me, yeah. I mean, if you want to learn to fight, study MMA. Uh, you know, study boxing and jujitsu and dirty fighting. I mean, seriously, uh, Aikido is the purpose of Aikido is. Yeah. I mean, it does teach you a lot of the principles that are good for martial interaction, balance and timing and distance uh, and awareness. Uh, but it's not it's not about training to fight competitively. It's about learning to harmonize with anger and it's much more it's more about how to have a good conversation a good relationship than it is to be some badass most of the people when you see demonstrations online or on youtube or whatever most of the people who <laughs> look like they can do this they can't really do it not if you real. but i've actually <laughs> trained with a few people who could really do that you could not touch them you go after them with everything you've wow. got you're trying to get them and you can't touch them, and then you're on your ass before you know it. <laughs> <That's> a... <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's see what else the fishbowl's got okay. here. Oh, conversations you want to have, but you've never had. That's a hard question. So conversations I want to have, what was the second part? Maybe there's a person... Yeah. yeah, conversations you want to have, but you never oh, have Oh, really simple. Had. I want to be a guest on Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. Oh, wow, man. I love that show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's interesting because that ties right to your book. You talk about, you know, that, I mean, comedians, man, they really are something. I mean, they really, really are. They have to work through failing oh. over and over and bombing just you know, you listen, I listen to a lot of comedian podcasts and they, they, yeah. especially when they're talking to each other and I'm like, wow, the work to it, keep getting hardest, back up. It's the hardest form of public speaking. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, sometimes they have a five minute set, man. And I'm like, you know, to get up there and you got to get people rolling in five minutes. I mean, how many times do you keep doing that and bombing before you just, yeah. you know get a win and then you go oh, i'm gonna do it again well, yeah. i don't know man that seems I mean, we, especially my wife and i we're, I'm, with anxiety you know? searching for good comedy but you know we're i'm sitting there with the clicker i go on the prime or the netflix or youtube or whatever yeah. thing you got three minutes make me laugh but i don't want to waste my time it's like <laughs> right. okay too disgusting not funny i mean you can even be disgusting right. if you're really funny you know Larry the cable yeah. guy is funny. You know, I don't care who you are, as he says, that's funny. <laughs> he's just funny. Now he can be <laughs> right, right. just so disgusting, it's hard to, but he's just funny, so I'm laughing, so I will watch him. So it's not I'm not it's just are you funny or not funny? But if you're not funny, you don't get to be disgusting, you don't get to waste my time. 
uh, uh, if, right. you're, if you're nasty and you're mean, you're probably not that funny. Uh, right. You know, so I, who do you like? Who who are comedians like? If you had, what what's your what's ones that you're listening to now well, that Seinfeld, you're just like, Seinfeld, oh yeah, these Seinfeld. are my faves. Just unbelievable genius. Yeah. Uh, always, you know, the classics for me, uh, Stephen Wright. Oh yeah. Stephen Wright, uh, amazing, amazing, just as good as it gets. Then there's some yep. uh, some ones that uh, are not as well known archetypes, but uh, there's a guy named Brett Ernst. Uh, he's he's. I hadn't heard of him. <laughs> he's just just. Really funny. Uh, funny. A guy named Johnny Sanchez. Uh, so we're always looking for people who not as many people have heard of. Right. Uh, we watch these comedy showcases, and if there are eight com- comedians, there might be one that we. We also love yeah. John Cleese, uh, uh, Fawlty oh, yeah. Towers, uh, just as funny as, as as can be. I love Chris Rock. Uh, oh, yeah. Chris Rock I think is he's just funny too. Funny. All right. Awesome, man. Okay, you got one more. Let's see. Let's see. Huh. This is an interesting question. If you could, what's one thing you would change about your past? I would. Oh, the only huh. thing I would change about my past is how I think about it sometimes when there's parts of it that I think I would change. <laughs> oh wow, that's good. That is a good answer, right? Because <laughs> you take some. Is this? Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I'd like to change my perspective about. Yeah. Being one, yeah, I love that. That's a great answer. Great answer. So this is the last question of the show, and I ask it of every guest, and uh, it's this: Did anything good happen today? This conversation, my friend. Oh, great. I love it when people say that. What a pleasure. <laughs> I had fun, man. Decided to go read more of your books, man. I, I I see now clearly after talking to you the the connection uh, between them. So I'm really excited about that. I always love discovering somebody new that I just haven't really dove into yet, man. And, and just I'm so blessed, honestly, with this show to get to talk to people like you. I really am. I told my wife this weekend, I said, I get some of the best conversations. What a great treasure. Well, pleasure is mutual. Thank you. So guys, the book is Mastering the Art of Public Speaking by Michael J. Gelb. You can get that. looks like just about anywhere. Well, the best thing would be too for if people would... Uh, uh... Go to michaelgelb.com, G-E-L-B, to get the book, because uh, you'll find all the books there. All of the books are at michaelgelb.com. All of the free articles that people can read, all of the free videos that they can watch, and all of the podcasts that I've done, and this one will be up there. Fantastic. So you've got it all curated. It's ready to go. All there, michaelgelb, G-E-L-B, michaelgelb.com. Thanks for listening to my Beacon Series conversation with Michael J. Gelb. If you'd like to experience Michael's book, Mastering the Art of Public Speaking, make sure to visit the links in the show notes. If you found something of use in this conversation, consider visiting findthegood.news slash donate, where you can help me continue this good news mission from the Louisiana Gulf Coast. I thank you for pressing play and for syncing up with this good news beacon.